Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Uh, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show. And as usual, on Monday morning, we'll be visiting with Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's also the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, about our growing debt. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His latest is Shake the Money Tree. It's a sequel to Follow the Leader. It is December the 21st. Well, Christmas is right on the right on the cusp here. And it's on this day in 1988, Pan Am Flight 103 from London to New York exploded in midair over Lockerbie, Scotland, killing over 243 passengers and 16 crew members aboard, as well as 11 Lockerbie residents on the ground. A bomb hidden inside the audio cassette player detonated in the cargo area when the plane was at the altitude of 31,000 feet. The disaster, which became the subject of Britain's largest criminal investigation, was believed to be an attack against the United States. 189 of the victims were American. Islamic terrorists were accused of planting the bomb on the plane while it was in the airport in Frankfurt, Germany. Authorities suspected an attack was in re- retaliation for either the 1986 U.S. airstrikes against Libya, in which the leader, uh, Gaddafi's young daughter, was killed along with dozens of other people, or a 1988 incident in which the U.S. mistakenly shot down an Iran air com- commercial flight over the Persian Gulf. Sixteen days before the explosion over Lockerbie, the U.S. Embassy in Helsinki, Finland, received a call warning the bomb would be placed on the Pan Am flight, Pan Am flight out of Frankfurt. There's controversy over whether how seriously the U.S. took the threat and whether travelers should have been alerted, but officials later said that the connection between the call and the bomb was coincidental. In any event, a very sad day indeed. In 2003, Libya uh, accepted responsibility for the bomb but didn't express remorse. Uh, we ended up uh, imprisoning two of the people. One was a, uh, a released, as you'll recall, because he had a severe case of cancer. Anyhow, uh, families were reimbursed with $8 million in restitution. And uh, Libya's prime minister said the deal was the price for peace, implying that his country took, only took responsibility to get the sanctions lifted, a statement that infuriated victims of the families. The family's victims. Pan Am Airlines, which went bankrupt three years after the bombing, sued Libya and later received $30 million as a settlement. Sad day indeed. This day in... 1988. Can you believe that's already 32 years ago? Well, financial futures are down. A stimulus package should be signed today. The futures are probably down because of the fear of a morphing of the uh, uh, virus. We'll find out more about that with our guest, Mark Schulman. We're going to talk about the virus a little bit, but first, Dan Scavino, the White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications and Director of Social Media, posted a series of tweets late last night that many took as an ominous sign of what's coming, but then he also made a frank Facebook post stating, President Trump will not be conceding. This is an official statement from the White House official. I think we all knew this already. However, it's official now. So the president is in it for the duration. That's his uh, style. That's what he does. I'm sure if, in fact, he ends up uh, having to concede, he'll do it when all other all other uh, efforts have uh, failed. Let's talk about the coronavirus. Uh, the Florida Department of Health on Sunday reported 55 new cases of COVID-19 in Collier County and two additional deaths. So uh, you may recall that uh, pneumonia, influenza, and COVID-19 deaths, according to the CDC, are all going to be lumped into one, in together for the purpose of uh, deaths, counting deaths. So... I'm not sure how reliable that number is. But anyhow, as COVID-19 cases skyrocketed before Thanksgiving holiday weekend, Dr. Deborah Burks, we used to see a lot of her, she's the coordinator of the White House coronavirus response, 
warned Americans to be vigilant and limit celebrations to your immediate household. Now, for many Americans, that guidance had been difficult to abide by, including Burks herself. The day after Thanksgiving, she traveled to one of her vacation properties on Fenwick Island in Delaware. She was accompanied by three generations of her family from two two households. Her husband uh, and uh, daughter-in-law and two young grandchildren were uh, there as well. You can believe that. So it just isn't it very difficult to take seriously these admonitions from these purpose people when they don't even follow their own advice? In fact, Senator Rand Paul told Breitbart News on Saturday that mask mandates ostensibly issued for public health purposes are all but about submission. If Fauci had his way, you'd never give up on the mask, uh, warned Paul. It's all about submission. They want you to submit to their will whether there, there's any science in, behind this or not. In fact, like on schools, it's, I've been telling Fauci for six months, the evidence is that if you open schools, you will not get a surge. The whole world accepted it, except for Dr. Fauci. He finally accepted it last week, six months after I started showing the evidence. Last week, a CNN published an article entitled, Why COVID-19 Vaccine Doesn't Mean That You Can Stop Wearing the Mask. CNN's top medical reporter, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, uh, described the coronavirus as especially deadly while advising people to double the usual six feet of distancing to 12 feet in gyms due to heavy breathing. That's <laughs> just unbelievable. Democrats and broad, uh, broader left regularly advocate for continuation and expansion of assorted and arbitrary lockdowns and shutdowns against businesses, religious organizations, and particular political demonstrations. Unbelievable. In fact, I uh, had a nice uh, bike ride where we uh, with my very close friend and uh, orthopedic surgeon. And we talked a little bit about this, and he said, you know, uh, basically he wears a mask. He said he's seen no proof. In fact, he he actually mentioned there's been no proof that wearing a mask even in an operating room makes a difference. And he said that, uh, you know, basically it's a social responsibility right now to wear a mask. And uh, he said that, uh, well, I said, and he agreed, that wearing a mask is kind of like building a chain link fence in order to keep out mosquitoes. But nevertheless, we're getting masked up because uh, that's what the government requires. Uh, fortunately, we've got a governor who doesn't uh, doesn't require a mask uh, in Florida. It's the local officials that are making these uh, making these uh, mandates. So, are you skeptical about getting vaccinated for COVID nineteen? If so, you're not alone. More than four in ten Republicans say they will definitely not get a COVID nineteen vaccine, according to a new poll from the Kaiser Family Foundation. In the survey, 41% of Republicans will reject the vaccine completely, while 36% of independents will do so also. And Democrats, 11% declared they won't get vaccinated. Asked if they would get a vaccine as soon as possible, 43% of Democrats, 27% of independents, and 20% of Republicans said, yes, we will. So, by the way, though, these statistics are changing uh, as time moves along. People are becoming less skeptical. And that kind of makes sense. Although you probably read that uh, several people are getting getting sick as a result of the vaccine. There are side effects, which is raising some questions. Well, a uh, September report by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention found that by June 30th, 2020, because of concerns about COVID-19, an estimated 41% of U.S. adults had delayed or avoided medical care, including urgent or, or emergency care and routine care. Avoidance of urgent or emergency care was more prevalent among unpaid caregivers for adults, persons with underlying medical conditions, black adults, Hispanics, young adults, and persons with disabilities. The point is that the CDC warned that delayed or avoided medical care might increase morbidity and mortality associated with both chronic and acute medical conditions. And I think this is absolutely true. Uh, you see that the hospitals are not full right now, and they've got plenty of beds for uh, for people, uh, including those with COVID-19. Dr. J. Uh, Bhattachara is one of three doctors or authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, a document signed onto by more than 3,500 medical professionals calling for the devastating coronavirus lockdown policies to be lifted and replaced with new, less restrictive policies. Anyhow, he's basically saying that uh, people should go to the doctor and get care that they need 
in spite of uh, whatever mandates might exist. And finally, uh, in this segment, uh, there's a new study uh, commissioned by Revolver News. It concludes that COVID-19 lockdowns are 10 times more deadly than the actual coronavirus in uh, terms of uh, years of life lost by American citizens. That's right, 10 times more deadly. Up until this point, there had been no simple rigorous analysis that uh, accurately and definitively conveyed the truth about the cost of COVID-19 lockdowns, or there you are uh, for uh, Governor Newsom and others, 10 times, the lockdowns are 10 times more deadly than the coronavirus itself. Wake up, America. Well, we didn't talk about the election at all, but uh, there are a lot of developments, but nothing definitive at this point. I think this is all going to come down to January the 6th. Uh, This segment of the show is brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples. Longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit the website as well, lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at at Lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. I hope you give it a visit. It's great for kids of all ages, including you and I. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. First of all, the futures are down. Uh, you're in Israel right now, point out to our listeners. So um, uh, any insight to what's uh, happening with uh, financial markets? Only in the, the the fear of this new strain of COVID right now. That's the that's the great fear that's spreading throughout the world. Yeah. Um, the British announced a new strain. Almost every country in the world has now cut, except the United States, has cut air transportation from Great Britain. Um, so 
literally every country in Europe has, has canceled all flights from, from England. Israel um, didn't cancel the flights, but has forced anyone coming. They had a flight arriving yesterday. Flights arriving yesterday. They forced everybody into uh, quarantine. Yeah. Fourteen days, and will not require and not allow anyone else to come from England. And the only, the only, like I said, the only place in the world that you can fly to from England right now is basically the United States, because uh, so, the United States has taken no action. The so fear I, is that this new strain is is many time, is more um, communicable. In other words, it spreads much more fast, yes. faster than the current COVID nineteen. Yeah, and there is a concern, although. Scientists believe it won't be the case that the vaccines won't work against it. The general sense is the vaccine will work against this strain, but again, until it's tested, which is taking place right now, we won't know that for a fact. The real fear that if, uh, you know, first of all, for those people who are not going to be vaccinated, this thing will spread and it'll be even worse in terms of the numbers of people who get COVID. And number two, of course, if the vac- if it's somehow resistant to the vaccine, then we're really all in big trouble. So, yeah, it is a new strain, and it is apparently more contagious, but is it more deadly? Is it more... No, it is not more deadly. It's more contagious. But again, it doesn't... I mean, obviously, it would be even worse if it was more contagious. But the reality is that if if a higher percentage of people get the disease, then a higher percentage of people... Then, of course, you know, the hospitals will be even more over, overloaded, as we know right now. Most... In, in many parts of the United States, all of the hospitals are close to 100% capacity. And so... You, if you had more people who were sick, you would be even, you know, you'd have to start uh, rationing medical care, and in which case more people will die. So I'm paying attention to what's happening here in our in county, in, in Collier County, and our hospitals, if anything, I think they need more business, quite frankly. Uh, and the number of COVID patients has actually gone down in the last week. So, I mean, I, of course, we're a little speck in the, in the universe here compared to the rest of the world, but uh, irrespective, uh, you know, our, our results aren't matching up with that. Well, Europe results to some extent. I mean, part of it has a factor of the fact that you're basically year-long summer, and since COVID is most much more problematic in indoor situations, mm-hmm. and that's why, for instance, the great surge that's taking place both in Europe and in many parts of the United States occurred when the summer ended and people started spending more time indoors. Okay, so indoor malls. Yeah, so but it's in, indoor situations. Well, it's obviously making people more fearful, and because there's a lot of unknowns, as you're pointing out, and uh, whether it will be it's certainly more contagious, whether it will be more deadly is is a question. No, and, it won't be more. De- it won't be more deadly, but just more people would probably get. It. And again, the great fear is that the vaccines won't won't work. Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned. I'm I'm getting my my vaccine tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Israel has been incredibly efficient in terms of the vaccines, basically. Uh, all medical personnel have been getting it starting yesterday, mm-hmm. and 10,000 medical personnel um, were vaccinated yesterday and more today. Uh, starting tomorrow, starting today, actually, anyone 60 years of age and above um, can be, and people with pre-existing conditions that are severe can get the vaccine. As far as I understand, so far 190,000 people have signed up amongst Israel. Basically, the health system works based on. Um, Based on HMOs, there are three HMOs in the country, and yeah. they service all the popu- the whole population. And what's the population? Is, insurance on top of that, if you want. Yeah, the population is about H- is about seven million or eight million. Uh, nine nine million. At this nine point. million. Okay. So, so, uh, so the the goal basically is over the next month to vaccinate everybody who's in any sort of risk category. And what's and, the uh, brand of what's the uh, vac- which the, vaccine? The Pfizer the Pfizer one is the one that we've gotten first. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll get Moderna probably in another three or four weeks. Um, but we've gotten Pfizer in hundreds of thousands of doses. I don't know how many. No one knows for sure exactly how many. Um, but yeah. um, the goal, the, the, the hope is to vaccinate the whole country by the end of March. So interesting. Well, uh, we'll see what happens. A new survey came out suggested that uh, there are a lot of people very skeptical about getting the vaccine here in the United States, although the numbers are improving if you want to say that in other words more people are people are becoming less and less skeptical as time goes along uh, well listen it's, it's logical because you know a week ago only the 40,000 people who had um, been in the trials had actually been vaccinated 20,000 <laughs> with the actual vaccine mm-hmm. so okay we can say only 20,000 people have been vaccinated who knows what can happen uh, but as every day goes by worldwide at least another 100,000 people are being vaccinated maybe more mm-hmm. 
So the greater number of people who are being vaccinated, the you know, the, and nothing happens to any of them, the, the or what happens is minor, shall we say, some of the allergic reactions, etc. Um, then the less less likely it is that there's a problem. And not that there should have been a problem to begin with, but just you know, people get more more relaxed. Oh, he went and she went and they went. And okay, it, 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 it's fine. Yeah. Um, they've seen that here in terms of they were concerned because doctors tend to be the people who are least likely to want to get uh, vaccinated. Reasons no one understands, but you can never get doctors to vaccinate against the flu. Very difficult to get doctors to vaccinate. Um, and they were actually concerned in Israel because they started with, other than the prime minister and the president and the chief of staff of the army, and all those sort of people did it publicly starting Saturday night. Yeah. But other than those people, they were concerned that um, you know doctors wouldn't be vaccinated, and therefore it would be a bad um, a bad example. So uh, here, here in the United States, uh, there is the uh, doctors, as I understand it. It might be county to county or state to state, but doctors have to be vaccinated here. Right. Well, I, I don't think they have to be here, but in Israel. But the but the reality is, what happened um, was very. Um, very quick yesterday, the, the big, one of the biggest hospitals, which is actually the hospital nearest me, uh, they have 7,000 people working for the hospital. It's a large hospital. Um, they got 1,000 doses to start. Mm-hmm. They were done in two hours. They got another 1,000 last night. They were done, and they expect to get at least 80% of the staff of the hospital vaccinated within a week. So uh, as so. I understand it, this is a, it requires two doses, six months apart? Right. Yeah. So two doses, three weeks apart. Three weeks. What apart, happens right. is you get those the first dose. According to the to most of the statistics, you're fifty to sixty percent protected at that point. You get the second dose um, three weeks later. You're eighty-five to ninety. Uh, six days late after that, it reaches the it reaches its full potential, which is ninety-five percent. Interesting. So it's basically over a, you know over a month, basically from the time you start. All right, so Mark, I'd like to talk about some of the other things that are going on in the world. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So uh, we've been hacked, uh, and uh, yes, we've been hacked. The Russians have pulled off one of the most spectacular hacks in in history, and it's called what's called a supply chain hack. And they did this by hacking one of the companies that provides tools to manage networks for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a company no one has ever heard of, including people I spoke to in the industry. Who, what, when? But it seems that everyone uses their software, uh, both the U.S. government and almost all the Fortune 500 companies. And one has to assume that everything has been compromised at this point. Um, why the Russians would do that, that's a, you know, it's a 40,000-foot question that no one really has the answer to. 
what they want to do. Are they just spying, or do they want to be able to just one day gain control of networks and systems? Another unknown. The problem is, in order to get rid of this hack, you basically as one newspaper, no, it wasn't newspaper, but one headline stated, and I've basically spoken to experts in the field, and they agree, you have to burn down the system. You basically have to junk the whole systems and stuff from scratch, which is an unbelievable thing to think about. It is true I, so, that it would be, uh, and maybe it's an opportunity in in one sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so, but I don't think the, I don't think anyone can manufacture computers fast enough to to to, to deal with that. If you want to, know, you know. Yeah. So, so uh, is this the Russian government or is it uh, Russian hack? Russian? It's the Russian government. This is this is something that only can be done by 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 a government level attack. Um, I mean, it's been identified by the U.S. intelligence services, the Russian government, the FSB, uh, doing it. Um, Pretty much worldwide uh, agreement that it's the Russians. So, uh, it, um, it, do I understand correctly? Right now, the Russians have access to all of our confidential and, and critical information. Uh, okay, the question of critical, I'm not a thousand percent sure of, mm-hmm. but everything that's not super secret, the answer is yes. Whether they have access to some very secure systems, I'm not sure. In other words, there are systems, and hopefully, there are more than more than a few in the United States and the military, et cetera, that are completely walled off and not connected in any which way to the internet or the outside world. Yeah. They don't have they don't have control of that because even if even if these systems were infected, they have no way to communicate with it. Interesting. So I mean literally this I think it demonstrates the severity of the cyber war that can exist between uh, around the world, China, Russia, you name it. I think that we're we're kind of uh, in a rock fight, living in a glass house. Well, very much so, I and mean, we are the most. The United States is the most vulnerable country to it because of the extent that the United States depends on its computer networks for for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really have a um, a unified command to defend. It has more for, for offensive activity. Um, a lot of the key people in the defense part of um, the cyber war left. The administration in the last two or three years, which is and never were replaced, which is another part of a problem. But that's not the cause. Don't get me wrong. Um, the reality of this is very serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, serious action needs to be taken against the Russians. How to do that is difficult because, again, we want to go to we don't want to go to war with the Russians. Um, but on the other hand, you can't allow this to continue without a certain levels of deterrence. So on on um, one hand, though, this might be the new form of war. The the battlefield might be in space. Quite frankly, I mean, uh, <laughs> guns and well, maybe the new form of war. But you can't if if it's a new form of war, you just allowed the Russians to win without firing a shot. And that's exactly yeah. well. Now, the, of course, uh, that's their move. Now, what's our move? Is the question, and uh, it's, that's the problem. And the, and the, what makes this much more difficult is because they, we have to assume they have ability of control. All of our systems. How do you respond in those these circumstances? Mm-hmm. And you're vulnerable, right? Right. It's, so it's it's a very difficult and very challenging situation. Um, and you know, hopefully the next administration will have people who are qualified will put the efforts into it because you know this has been a a non a non a non event in this current administration. I'm afraid. So we'll see what happens. Well, I'm not but sure. It's about very very that. serious. So let's let's move and, to to China right now. And China is uh, being aggressive. All right. Well, if you just take a look and see what happened in Hong Kong now and uh, moving to Taiwan. But now in terms of Taiwan, they're now, you know, they 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 sailed their aircraft carrier. They have one operational aircraft carrier close to the Taiwanese coast. They continuously send planes. The direction of Taiwan, forcing the Taiwanese air force, which is much much smaller, obviously than the, than the um, Chinese one, to sortie planes each time to to meet them. Um, they're playing a sort of war of attrition a little bit with the Taiwanese. What's their goal? It's an interesting question. Um, would they risk war? Probably not. Will they try to obtain more obedience from the Taiwanese government? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hard question to try to answer, of course. Um, the, but, the, what's happening right now in the United States where we're finding that, uh, well, uh, people who have this close association with Chinese spies, quite frankly, in the United States, and, and it is very insipid uh, activity. Uh, this uh, Eric Swalwell, for example, as an example, it goes back to the time that he was running for mayor, running for city council in a town in uh, in uh, 
near San Francisco. Now he ran for president. <laughs> you know, he was a candidate for president one time, and uh, apparently having this affair with Fang Fang or Fang Fang. I don't know what her name is. Well, but just know. I mean, I don't know the earlier part, but just know. And the moment he was informed that the person he was dealing with was a Chinese spy, he cut all connections. So let's just keep that in mind. This is a. It's an interesting, uh, an interesting story. But he cut immediately as soon as the FBI notified him that the person he had. Any involvement with was a suspected Chinese spy. He cut all connections totally. Well, good for him. But here's the, here's the issue. I mean, we're just even taking a look at Mitch McConnell. He's married to a Chinese woman. Her family is deeply embedded in the in a shipping organization in, in uh, China. I mean, all, all right. it would take all it would take is a decision on the part of the Chinese government to say, you know, no, you are not going to be doing business with you anymore, and her and her family's business. So, I mean, in a sense, even he's compromised. Forget the fact that that. that He's married to her. No, the point. She the tr- she's been the she's been the secretary of transportation the last four I, years. I understand it. My point is this: that, that these are just two examples of many, many situations where politicians have been comp- elected officials have been compromised by the Chinese, uh, by Chinese spies. It's 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 a real concern. No, it isn't a real concern. It's a real concern also because of the financial power of the Chinese. Mm-hmm. It's not just a question of Chinese spies. It's the leverage they have. I mean, what would happen tomorrow if they were to say, okay, tomorrow, starting tomorrow morning, Apple can't ship any more products out of China. Right. Apple, you know, it, would, it would take Apple six months, a year, two, a year and a half to recover. Right. Um, now, of course, so that doing that would be, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face. So they're not, they're not rushing to do that, obviously. Well, and, and then, uh, you know, we, we go back to the, uh, the precious or the critical elements that uh, for pharmaceuticals and all types of things, we're definitely compromised by the Chinese, and it's becoming more and more clear that her, her, their intention is to compromise uh, politicians, uh, the power in the, in the United States of America. Right, there's no question. The Chinese, the Russians are playing the same game over the years. The Chinese, though, have more money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the reality. Also, we did not recognize the Chinese as quite as malevolent as the communist um, Soviet Union was. And they probably weren't as malevolent because I don't think the Chinese, even though all the things we just said negatively about the Chinese, the reality is they don't have a, um, a national ideology which says Chineseism or whatever you want to describe it, Chinese communism should conquer the world. While the Soviet Union and communism during that period of time talked about the workers' revolution everywhere as the whole world would become communist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a difference, um, and I think more than anything else, the Chinese are interested in ex- expanding what they consider their rights. Um, I think what you I just said is, I think they're, they're less in the same way the, the yeah, Russians were. They're less ideological and more practical, but they want to accomplish the same thing. Um, I don't think they want to accomplish the same thing. They, they want to. They, they want to increase their power. They They don't have. You know, listen. Ideology is the driving force that can make you make decisions that are not always rational. Mm -hmm. And of course, the real concern during the Cold War was not rational decisions, it was irrational decisions. So coming, uh, going full circle then, uh, what's going to happen, do you think, with the Taiwanese? I think the Taiwanese are not going to buckle. They have a wonderful country. They have freedom. They have elections. They're not going to buckle anytime soon. It's going to be costly for them. It depends on the rest of the world, you know, whether the rest of the, the rest of Asia going to stand up for Taiwan, mm-hmm. the United States going to stand up for Taiwan, or what's going to be the position of the administration vis-a-vis Taiwan. These are all difficult questions. Um, I'm optimistic, but concerned. I am as well. In fact, this it's the ir- irony here is that there's probably more peace around the world than we've seen in a long time, and yet there's more more threat than I've ever seen, <laughs> quite frankly, in terms of what what can happen to to the globe. Well, as long as, you, as long as you don't describe cyber attacks as the lack of peace. Right. Exactly. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. encourage you to web, uh, visit the website. Mark, always appreciate your informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. Jim is the author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, Two Great Murder Mysteries. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about a terrific organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We're an educational organization with a focus on high school and college students, and through our website, which is fee.org, and many in-person events all over the country and sometimes abroad, we attempt to educate and inspire young people in ideas of free enterprise, private property, limited government, and personal character. Terrific organization. I just strongly encourage any of our listeners that you have a young person in your life that is a college or high school age. Introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education. You'd be very happy you did. Larry, uh, you wrote, well, I guess, yeah, you wrote this column, I believe. Jefferson warned us about debt. It's such a timely topic because right now, uh, apparently the Senate uh, came up with a plan, and they're going to send it to the House and get signed by the president to another $900 billion stimulus package. And yet, Jefferson, so many years ago, said, we must not let our rulers load us with perpetual debt. Tell us about it. Yes, Jefferson was uh, very concerned that the country would be tempted to spend more than it had and send the bill to the next generation. And boy, have we ever done that yeah. uh, big time. When you think of the numbers, Bob, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. In 1981, just 20 years, or 40 years ago, uh, the country's national debt crossed the $1 trillion mark for the first time, $1 trillion. Mm. And then in another 15 years thereafter, uh, we got it up to $5 trillion. But still, that seems pretty modest compared to today. Just two years ago, February of 2019, the national debt was at $22 trillion, up to $27 trillion. So we've added as much additional debt in just the last two years as we did in our first 220 years as a nation. It's very concerning, and uh, of course, uh, right now, interest rates are low, so the cost for the debt is not uh, perpetually high or extremely high, but it will go up. There's no question about that. 
And when it does, does, when the interest rates do go up, the results are going to be staggering to our economy. Absolutely. It'll be staggering not only for the economy, but also for the federal government, which is pumping out all this debt. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't mind it so much in Washington when they can issue debt and uh, pay, you know, 1% on it. But if interest rates go to 2 or 3 or 4%, or even it's their historic uh, uh, average, uh, you know, 5 6%, then you're going to find that the cost of the debt to the government itself will be so massive that it will either crowd out uh, most uh, of the rest of its spending uh, or uh, it will have to simply print money uh, to make the interest payments. Absolutely. And uh, so we've ignored the admonition uh, from uh, Jefferson. Uh, what would he say today if he saw what was going on? He would be absolutely appalled. He would say, hey, we told you about this. Don't do this. Uh, this is the road to tyranny. Uh, in fact, um, I think he would be uh, a, a very harsh judge of us as uh, stewards of the public purse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we, he would say that you're oblivious to the burden that you're spending for today is foisting on future generations. And I think he would think that we're either drunk or crazy for convincing ourselves that too much debt is nothing to worry about. And that's interesting because coming out of the uh, Revolutionary War, we were at debt. We had to print money uh, for the first time. I guess it was first time it was back in the 17th century. But irrespective, the point is that uh, we were not healthy financially after the, after the uh, Revolutionary War. Tell us about his what he do as president of the United States. Yeah, he served two terms as our third president, so you might be tempted to say, well, maybe he's one of these politicians who just told us we shouldn't uh, go into debt, but then did it himself when he was president. But uh, abs- absolutely, uh, he, was, he did what he uh, said this country should do. During his term, uh, he cut spending. Uh, in f- as a matter of fact, um, I have some numbers here that indicate that uh, during the time that uh, he was president, even in spite of the costs of the Louisiana Purchase during mm. his term, uh, the national debt fell by one-third during his presidency. Now, there were some taxes, like tariffs, uh, that went up, but other taxes actually went down. So uh, to be able to uh, uh, reduce the national debt by that much uh, and still uh, reduce many taxes, some like excise taxes on whiskey and commodities were done away with altogether, was quite a remarkable feat. So Jefferson practiced what he preached. And keep in mind that we didn't have an income tax in the United States. What was it, 1919, I believe? Yeah. And, and, uh, or 13. 1913. And at the time when it was passed, it was only for millionaires. It would only be a small percent, like a 2% tax or something like that. Now take a, take a look at today. And, of course, if, in fact, we have a Biden presidency, what's he promising? Well, he's going to increase taxes. Get rid of the, the tax cuts we just got. Maybe we'd have to do that anyhow. Well, uh, my preference would be to work on the spending side. That's mm-hmm. where the problem is. The problem isn't that the government doesn't tax enough. The problem is that it spends too much. I couldn't agree more. And just the massive amount of money that we spend on these bureaucracies, uh, you could, <laughs> I don't know how long it would take you. It would take me about a half an hour to eliminate billions of dollars of uh, spending that we currently have. Well, of course, we have these uh, employee unions, and it makes it very difficult to cut staff. But uh, one thing we could do, for example, is move the Department of Agriculture to someplace like Kansas. <laughs> you know, Yeah. <laughs> Get rid of uh, departments like education, which has blown uh, tens of billions of dollars over the years with nothing to show for it. Yeah. Well, you know, we, this is the first voice I've seen. I'm so happy you brought this to our attention because sooner or later we're going to have to pay the piper. And just because we don't, don't talk about it doesn't mean it's not a big, big problem. So uh, here we are. And uh, with, you know, $27 trillion, trillion dollars of debt. And, uh, I mean, where's our infrastructure? How's that been improved? What's, <laughs> what, yeah. what and we, keep in mind, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are saying, well, the way to address this is to raise taxes. But every time they do that, they don't take the money and put it aside for debt reduction. They just spend it. They usually spend it all and then some, and you end up with even more debt and more spending. So true. Larry Reed again, the president emeritus 
for the Foundation for Economic Education. Again, the website is fee.org. Larry, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Uh, And Merry Christmas to you, Larry. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. Jim is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of books, as I mentioned, Father Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, both located in Washington, D.C. Really exciting and fun reads. I hope you get a copy. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Listen to that commercial about uh, our advertisers. I do want to thank our advertisers for, for supporting the program. We couldn't do it without them. And I hope you'll patronize Lulabee's Diner, uh, Blue Provence, uh, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Life in Naples Magazine, and all the others uh, for the great support that they give to our program. We have with us Jim McTagg. Again, Jim is uh, the author of a couple of great uh, murder mysteries, Follow the, Follow the Leader, followed by uh, Shake the Money Trees, also former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob, on this, on this very, very dark day. Yeah, it is a winter solstice. Is that what it is? I think so. Yes, so, so uh, starting tomorrow, everything is uphill. We'll, you know, it, we'll get... Uh, is it will stay lighter a little bit uh, longer. I think we had sunset here last night at 4:48 oh my p.m., which is you know when you're uh, hunkered down, when you're locked in the bunker because of uh, COVID, it's uh, kind of depressing to be surrounded by darkness. So then uh, the Christmas lights come on. I, you know that's kind of substitute for the sunshine. Yeah, it kind of warms it up. So uh, you know, right now we've got this uh, election in Georgia going on, and uh, I've our, I know our U.S. congressman, who newly elected, it was in Georgia, several cities, uh, traveling around, encouraging people to vote and to. Uh, so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know the uh, newspapers are are filled with stories today. There's a, a very good report in the Washington Post. And I've been reading the Atlanta Constitution uh, every day mm. because of the importance of the Senate race. You know, the control of Congress hinges on the Senate runoffs in Georgia, and mm-hmm. those Senate runoffs will be finalized on January 5th. And the reason I say finalized is that uh, uh, 
the previous week was the first week of early voting, and there was a uh, surprisingly robust turnout in Georgia, both in people voting in person and people voting by mail. Mm-hmm. And according to the polls, which we have learned uh, are just uh, very rough estimates, Republican candidates have a slight lead at this point. But mm-hmm. again, it's only the first week of uh, early voting. And it's one of the uh, dirtiest elections uh, in memory. <laughs> you know, the advertisements have every uh, distortion and exaggeration uh, that you can think of on both sides. And so it's, uh, uh, there's a bit of humor here if you, if, if you uh, take it to the extreme. But um, Well, one, I think one thing to have uh, news stories that are uh, off-center, not true, that type of thing is typical and is going to happen. The thing that concerns me is what's going to happen at the polls and whether there's going to be uh, the integrity of the election is going to be upheld. And I know we have these mail-in ballots. That's a problem. But will it be checking signatures? Will he be doing the things and allowing two people, one Republican, one uh, Democrat, to be looking at the uh, ballots to do the account? This is a this is a big concern where the cheating happens. Yeah, I, I'm sure they will. I, I thought what was interesting in the Washington Post the article was they interviewed some black voters, and uh, one woman who was voting Democratic uh, said. Uh, I'm voting in person this time. I voted in mail by mail the last time, but I don't trust the mail in voting. So there is an example of the Trump uh, message that the election was rigged, actually mm-hmm. in the behavior of the uh, Democrat. And and this is interesting because thirty uh, percent of Georgia's population is is black. It's one of the you know largest proportion of of black residents per state in the country. Mm-hmm. And, and black turnout uh, thus far has been uh, very, very large. Now, the, the blacks tend to vote Democratic. It doesn't mean uh, they all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but again, um, you know, this is going to be another cliffhanger. And uh, I just remind your listeners, they had two recounts in Georgia. So, I mean, you know, even though uh, I think Biden was the first Democrat to win there since the 1990s, yeah. You know, Georgia was was considered a uh, a guaranteed red state. Um, yeah, you it's know, you know, but Biden flipped, flipped it, and and so this race uh, for for the Senate is going to be very close. And the, the big issue, the people, I think the people see through this is: uh, do we want to divide a government with a break on the you know, what the President Biden can do? Or do we want to give him the green light and, and enable him to ram that's through ex- any legislation that he uh, That's wants? exactly the issue. You hit, it, hit the nail on the head. I, I found this interesting. Uh, this is a story that I found. Georgia State Senator William Legan, L-I-G-O-N, chairman of the committee which overheard uh, evidence of election malfeasance earlier in the month, released a scathing report on the state's troubled November election. He says there's evidence that uh, here, the hearing that the election was chaotic and any reported results must be reviewed must be viewed as untrustworthy. And he made several key findings. I won't go through them right now, but the point is that you know, the, uh, and this is he doesn't. I don't know if he's a Republican or Democrat, but irrespective, he said Georgia elections officials failed to enforce the state's election rules. The state failed to provide adequate transparency during the signature verification and audit processes. And the uh, Secretary of State implemented an unconstitutional gag order to prevent poll monitors from using electronic devices to record the counting process. And it goes on here. So some pretty serious uh, allegations with the election that occurred in in, uh, Georgia. I personally don't understand, and I can't see how it's possible, that the red state Georgia could be flipped by Biden out of his basement. And... I can understand it uh, completely because I think uh, I think the actual race, presidential race, was uh, Trump versus Trump, uh, and uh, people didn't vote for Biden as much as much as against uh, President Trump. And I think he 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 blew. He had two major tests where he could have uh, come forth as one of America's great statesmen. Uh, you know, one of our he could have been our Winston Churchill. Uh, that was the, uh, the the COVID nineteen. You know, he 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 dismissed it early on as nothing worse than the flu, and 
the other thing was the whole Black Lives Matter fiasco. Um, he was more divisive than a, a uniter. And I, I mean, I understand his uh, disgust with the lawlessness. Everybody is disgusted with the lawlessness. But, you know, as, as a chief executive, he, he, um, he lacked a certain flair and a certain diplomacy that you expect from that office. So, and, I mean, this is one man's opinion. And, and I'll, I'll remind your listeners, uh, the conservative mean. Uh, held my nose and voted for Biden. Yeah, yeah, and I understand. I'm, and I'm pro-life. But and, you, you um, said things right now that I just I don't understand. Uh, that, uh, uh, for example, the Antifa or the Black Lives Matter thing. What did he do that was so offensive? Or, or and I'm talking about the president now, that uh, you would have liked to have seen him do differently. Uh, well, number the, the the number one image of Trump during that. Uh, crisis that sticks in my mind is him walking out of the White House across Lafayette Square, mm. uh, standing in front of St. John's Episcopal Church and holding a Bible over his head, mm-hmm. and then walking back to the White House. You know, after pushing the, the, the crowd back, and the crowd was largely uh, peaceful, um, it was, you know, it was a crowd filled with uh, upper-class uh, liberals. That uh, was preposterous. It was... Uh, Okay, so it was divisive, you know. But that's um, fifteen seconds into how United to me. But you know, we're talking about these these Black Lives Matters folks. These people are trained criminals. I mean, they are. Uh, I think they're Soros paid. Quite frankly, somebody's paying them to do the work that they're uh, that they're doing. They're and as I understand it, they have professional training in what they're doing. So uh, I think he could have been more assertive, quite frankly, than uh, in uh, against Black Lives Matter than he was. Well, you know, the poor boys are uh, pretty much a, a group of criminals, too, based on their behavior. I don't know how. They don't seem to be very well trained, but they're uh, very uh, misbehaved. And his embrace of a group like that is distasteful. Is it the, uh, is he really it? should be above uh, the fray. Yeah. He should he should, should, should have been, a, you know, we're, I'm being a Monday morning quarterback here. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. I think he, I think he lost, and I think he lost legitimately. And... Uh, I don't think he'll ever be elected again. I think he'll go off and become like Teddy Roosevelt was and, and perhaps form the uh, equivalent of uh, Teddy Roosevelt's Bull Moose Party, but, uh, mm. you know, it, will, um, it won't be successful. Well, I must say, we see the world differently through a different prism, Jim, <laughs> but there's going to be a lot of things that are happening in the next week. It'll be so interesting to see how this all comes out. Keep on waiting for the big news to drop, the next shoe to drop, but it just seems to be hovering in suspended in air. Uh, that shoe that is what I'm talking about. Jim, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. I wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and I, I wish all your listeners uh, fast access to the vaccine so we can get back to uh, normal life. Yeah, okay. admonition <laughs> uh, taken. Thank you so much, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I, I don't feel the same way. I'm skeptical about the vaccine and want to know more. But, uh, I, you know, when we see the hypocrisy that has occurred uh, with uh, Burks and others, watching uh, Fauci, for example, throwing out the first pitch with his mask on in Washington, D.C., and then going to sit with his friends with no mask on, I see a lot of hypocrisy around this whole thing. Quite frankly, uh, Wearing a mask is foolish, except you just don't want to be attacked by mass Nazis. So uh, you wear it just to protect yourself from people that are uh, <laughs> are, uh, are uh, virtue signaling. Anyhow, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be with us to find out what's new with Boo. Seat Motley, the founder and president of the government, and Alinda Harden, my wife, will be with us. Always enjoy her commentary on what's happening. Appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you'd like to be on the mailing list, uh, subscriber list for my uh, email and uh, that I send out after each show, again, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>